Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. The thing that is exciting to me about what we're seeing God doing in this hour, you know, we're not seeing a lot of just simple conversions. We're seeing a lot of people coming to Christ and being radically transformed, which is like, this is how it's supposed to be. This is what the book of Acts describes is when this move of God hits us, that it moves us, that something happens. And so today we're going to talk about working it out because there's, there's some stuff that needs to happen after. We don't just you know, pray a prayer and go, well, I hope that's stuck. But what's supposed to come out of our lives? And um, as we're, we're in this moment in history where things are a little crazy out there, anybody been getting the news reports all weekend? It's like the world is blowing up over a battle over righteousness, which is quite interesting. And, um, you know, some of the things that are being said about Christians, about believers need to be addressed. We need to know where we stand. We need to know who we are. We need to know what should be coming out of our lives and out of our mouths. And so this is part of working it out. And Wayne and I have this uh, ongoing statement at our house, because when I'm feeling a little jacked up, um, he will say, it will all work out. And I will say, no, we will work it out. And there's a difference between it will all work out and we will work it out, right? The it will all work out is like, I'm sure somebody's going to make it work out. And that's the faith portion. And then there's the we will work it out, which means what's my part in the faith portion? What's the bit that I actually have to get my butt off the couch and do? What are the things that are required of me? And so the scripture that comes from that is right in the word talking about working out our salvation. And there's this quote by J. Oswald Saunders that I love. And he's basically, he talks about um, the fact that some people, you know, we all come to Christ, but some people end up as spiritual giants and some people end up as spiritual pygmies. Now, that's probably not the right terminology at this point, but basically, it's from the 60s. So, um, but he's saying some people grow and some people don't. And the difference is how we apply the kingdom of God, how we apply our walk with God. So he says, our enjoyment of spiritual blessings is strictly limited to our appreciation of them. We enjoy not what we long for or hope for or even ask for, but only what we receive. So what we actually apply, what we actually lay hold of, what we actually engage. So we can pray, God, do something, God, do something, God, do something. But like we even heard some of the baptisms today, you know, that I felt like God said, do this. Well, kind of the flow and the growth and the ability to move in God stops at our last nope. It kind of like, you know, God speak to me. He's like, I did. You need to say yes. <laughs> that would be where we move on from there. And so what are the things that God's asking us to do? How is he asking us to engage? And there's, there's a lot of different things that we do, but um, there is practical application to salvation. It is absolutely not meant to be, our walk with God is not meant to be a Sunday thing, right? You would agree with that? It is, it is meant to be 24-7. It should influence and affect every decision that we make. The, the presence of God in our lives should be the core from which we operate. In good times, in hard times, in stressful times, in unknowns, in, in plans, in dreaming, in whatever, how we engage life should be informed by the engagement that we have with God. So Philippians 2, and if you've got your Bibles with you, which I hope you do, Philippians 2, we're going to go, kind of go through the bulk of the chapter here. And this is where this core idea of working it out comes from. 
And so in the uh, New King James Version, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not all uh, as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And the fear and trembling doesn't mean like you're scared of God, but it means with, with a concentrated effort. Like you are focused. This is a holy thing. You are working out your salvation. Notice it doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work out your salvation. So there will be an outworking of salvation in your life. Does that make sense? There's something that should come out of it. So we never work for salvation. It is always a free gift from God that we get to just say yes to. That free gift is available, but then we work it out. We apply it. We lay hold of it. We receive it. We engage it. I love the Amplified of verse 12. So I just want you to see this one. It says, so then my dear ones, just as you have always obeyed my instructions with enthusiasm, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, Continue to work out your salvation that is cultivated, bring it to full effect, actively pursue spiritual maturity. Isn't that phrase good? Actively pursue spiritual maturity. You know, it's so interesting in our current culture, um, I, like, I think it's, it's epidemic that most 40 year olds are starting to decide to hashtag adult. There was a time in the past, this might be informational for some, but like 18 was considered the age of adulthood, not 40. But, you know, we're all still trying to grow up and figure out when we take responsibility for our lives. Kind of can be like that in Christianity where we're like, I'm just a new Christian. It's been seven years. No, you're not. You know, how, how, how long is a new Christian? Totally dependent on us. It's about the maturity level, not the length of time. So we got people right now who are running ahead, I gotta tell you, people that have been saved six months that are more mature than some of the 16 year olds in Christ because they're like, give it all to me, I want. You know, and, and when people start with the book of Revelation, You know, we got people that we've grown up in the church. We're like, I'm really comfortable with John. I like John and the Psalms. Those are really good. And those are the really good starting points. But I mean, we got people that are like, hand me some Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. I want to go. Well, I mean, that's growing. I mean, we're getting into the deep stuff. That's maturing. So he's saying actively pursue spiritual maturity with awe-inspired fear and trembling. Using serious caution and critical self-evaluation that's a key phrase, to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. Using serious caution and critical self-evaluation to avoid anything that might offend God or discredit the name of Christ. Now, I got to tell you, this weekend, I mean, I, when we, we heard, I'll just give you my personal belief system here, but when uh, I opened my phone on Friday and the first thing said that, our, uh, Roe v. Wade had been overturned. I just started crying in my coffee. I couldn't even, I couldn't even hardly breathe. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I know it's American and I know, you know, it's, it, it's something outside of us, but literally it's been my entire life that North America has said it's in completely okay to just 
abort babies for whatever reason, you know, and of course there's medical things and whatever, I'm not getting into that, but it, there was a thing that happened in the spirit that you could feel. And so I'm like so excited. And then I opened Twitter and I'm like, trending is praise God, hashtag praise God. I'm like, whoa, this is amazing. Like since when is it the opening uh, thing that's trending on Twitter, praise God. And then I started to read the comments and F you Christians and F your churches and F your Jesus and F this and F that and y'all need to die. You obviously don't understand. You should be burned, blah, blah, blah. We should blow up churches. We need to target religion. I'm like, okay, Some, something, something big has happened. We've engaged something huge. And then I pause and by my second cup of coffee, I'm thinking, I wonder how long it's gonna take our prime minister to respond. Not very long where he doubled down and said, well, if you need access to abortions, come to Canada, we will supply them. I'm like, oh dear Jesus. Okay, we've got a war on, on our doorstep. And um, basically it's about righteousness. It's about God's, God's voice in things. It's about what love really looks like. But what I started to read in the comments underneath it was a lot of people saying, you know, it's one thing for you to say you want babies to live, but where are you when they're born and people need care and people need help and people need, you know, somebody to minister to them. And I thought, there it is. We got a bunch of Christians. I mean, obviously there's a demonic voice that's spewing out over top it all as well. But underneath, the pain that's underneath it all is probably Christians who have never matured to the point of operating in love. So they're absolutely right. When we declare righteousness, we say this is what is right and this is what is wrong in God's eyes. The other side of it is, and this is how we're willing to help. This is how we're willing to care. This is how we're willing to love, right? And so we've evidently had a generation of Christians that have not necessarily worked out their salvation. Because when we work out our salvation, we find out what God really has to say about stuff. And it is not sit there and be judgmental and wave signs at people. It is get in the trenches and serve, love, care, minister. That's what God calls us to do and be. And so working out our salvation, like, thank you, Jesus. You love me exactly where I am. I'm so grateful that you see my future, that you have a plan for me, that there's a hope for my life. And then what I do with that is turn and find somebody else and say, God loves you. He sees you exactly where you are. He has a hope for you, a plan for you. He has a purpose for your life. It's not I just sit here and go, I am just so blessed that God loves me. You're hooped. But I have been loved exactly as I am where I, God has forgiven all my sins, but you are in sin. That is not faith. That is not the kingdom. That is not Jesus. And so this tells us to work out our own salvation. Work it out. Get in there and dig it out. And the breakdown, the Greek uh, history behind this, literally it's a Greek term that means to mine out like silver or gold. So get in there and mine out the treasures of salvation, mine out the good stuff, dig it out. And when it comes out, then it is evident to those around us. When we have mined out the good stuff that is in there, God shows us what to do with this. So it is a working out. Now we're going to walk through just real quick, Philippians 2. And I want to just give you a, a bit of help here, because how do we work out our salvation? Well, this particular verse, verse 12, is like the anchor kind of for this whole passage. And it, it gives us, this is the why, and then it tells us what working it out looks like. So this is the why. We are working out our salvation 
and the part before it and the part after it is telling us what working it out looks like. But just for your reference, the book of Philippians was written by Paul to the church at Philippi. And I think it's really interesting because the history of Philippi is that it was the first um, basically European church planted. It was planted in uh, what was then under the rule of Rome. It's Greece present day. Um, what's interesting about it is that it was the foremost city in Macedonia. It was granted the status uh, in 42 BC of being a Roman colony. So what that means is instead of just being an area that was subservient to Rome, they were a colony, that means they were given status. It means that the people could buy and sell land. It meant that they had legal rights to go to court and sue people and fight for their right. You know, they had, they had access to stand for their own stuff. They could increase um, and they could be prosperous. And so they felt a little significant. And the history tells us that essentially the main obstacle for Philippi was pride. I think this is so comparable to North America. There are nations around the earth that have less, that are struggling, you know, to deal with some of the basic stuff where people don't have the same rights and freedoms and the opportunity to sue. I mean, people have sued McDonald's for the temperature of their coffee. So let's just face it. We live in a culture that doesn't, you know, if it doesn't have a warning label on it, we can't seem to manage it. But um, we'll sue people for it. So we're in a very similar thing. And it's probable that our obstacles are pride. Right, that that's, that's the thing that we fight against. My right, my, I get to. And so you see a decision that happens, even in the US, like North America is just kind of in this flow. You see a decision happen that some people love and some people don't love and all the teeth come out. And it's just, and everybody's raging. What's interesting about Philippi, you remember the story of Paul and Silas in prison and they praised and they, you know, the chains. So this was in the same place. Paul and Silas, if you remember the story, Paul comes in and they're ministering the gospel and he displaced a demon that was making people some money and suddenly all hell broke loose and they ended up in the fight for their lives. Right now, there are demons being displaced and all hell is breaking loose, but God has a final say. What changed the story in this particular city was that Paul and Silas did the right thing. They were working out their salvation. And in the dungeon, in the chains, in the pain, they began to praise God. They began to worship. They began to lift up the name of the Lord. They never let their witness slip. They hung on to what the truth was. And God revealed to them um, the power in the form of a prison break. And what happened on the other side of it? total radical revival guys the prisoner the prison guard his family there was like immediate salvation baptism the breakout of a move of God in that city that came because a demon got displaced and the Christians at the time knew how to work out their salvation and act properly and the move of God came on the other side of it so right now we're in that moment we're in that moment we have to know, not just I'm saved, but I'm saved. And so what does that mean for me? What do I do with that? So let's just walk through real quick here. We're going to read just straight through um, verse 1 to 4 to start with. Whew. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... 
Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. That's a good starting point. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So yes, how do we work out our salvation? We spend time in prayer. We spend time in the word. We spend time getting to know God in that way. And then we operate with him. Then we do the stuff. We decide to live out what we've received. We decide to not be selfish. We decide to prefer one another. We decide to walk in unity. Do you know what is one of the biggest, most offensive things to people who don't know Jesus yet? Disunity in the church. They're like, I got enough crap in my life. I don't need yours too. I don't need to come there on a Sunday. We, this is, this is how we work out our salvation. Get it together. Choose to love one another. Choose to prefer one another. Choose to say my rights can take a backseat and I'm serving you. I'm loving you. And as we deal with the blow up of stuff going on around us right now, how can I serve you? How can I love you? How can I bless you? How can I stand with this one? Maybe we aren't in agreement about everything, but we can love each other. We can stand there arm in arm. We can stand there heart to heart, even if we're not mind to mind together, but we can love one another and work out our salvation, right? This is what he's telling us. He tells us that essentially, let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. So working out our salvation means I am looking out for others. It means that it's not about what's in it for me, or at least not only what's in it for me. But as I've come to Christ, how can I pour out? What is going to come out of my life? So let's go on a little further. Verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, those in heaven and those on the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He tells us at the beginning there, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ. In other words, know who you are. Know whose you are but walk humbly in it. There is no arrogance in Christianity. There is no arrogance in the kingdom walk. We can't say, well, I've got it all together. And you're, no, I know who I am in Christ, but I don't need to belittle anybody else. I don't need to pull anybody. I don't need to have an opinion about everything even. I do need to walk in humility. And I know that there comes a day down the road where sooner or later, every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. So I don't have to defend him. He can defend himself, but I walk in him. I walk in that authority. I walk in that boldness. And I know that if Jesus was standing right here beside me today, he would be radical love in this moment. He would be the one who walks through and does the unusual. I'm telling you, the greasier and uglier it gets out there, the better it's looking in here. The more the things of God will start to show the truth of his love and his grace and his mercy if we work out our salvation. If we 
know whose we are, who we are, and we walk with humbleness. Again, verse 12 and 13, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to both will and to do for his good pleasure. To both will and to do for his good pleasure. It means that if I'm working out my salvation, I'm asking him, what's your will and what do you want me to do? It's pretty simple until it's all about what I want. If it's about what I want and how I feel and my plans and my, I mean, I've given Jesus my heart, just not my time, you know, <laughs> given Jesus my heart, but I, I, I have plans. I have a five-year plan. Um, I don't have anything beyond that. So after my five-year plan, then he's welcome to input his suggestion list. <laughs> right? Working out your salvation means I come to Christ and I say, God, I'm completely yours. What do you will? What do you want me to do? What do you will? What do you want me to do? This is, this is cool because there's life in this. And then it goes on in verse 14 to 16 here. It says, do all things. So all these things that you've asked him what to will and to do. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Great. It's not just a yes, God, but it's a yes, God with a good attitude. That's working out our salvation. Like not cherry picking the scripture. It comes right behind it. Work out your own salvation with fear of trembling. Do all things without complaining and disputing. That you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Not that, oh my goodness, the perverse and crooked generation will disappear. No, in the midst of it. You're going to be different. And specifically, it says, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. He's saying that the word of life, you're going to hold fast to the word of life. You're going to hold fast to the truth. And when you do what God's called you to do without whining, complaining, disputing, selfishness, self-ambition, all of this stuff, when you're operating in this surrender to God and you're living upright in the midst of the perverse generation, God says you actually are shining like light in the midst of this darkness. It means that, like, I, we had... Um, we had our, our kiddos over for a sleepover the other night. I was saying to Wayne, like, you know, we tuck everybody in. I had double blinds on the window. Um, Amy and Gary and girls came out and they're like, we have sleep masks. I'm like, you what? You know, well, yeah, they got sleep masks in there. They were rigged up for the, for the sleepover. But middle of the night, somebody needs help. And I go in there and they've got like a little, like a, a noise machine thing that's going on. And there's like this tiny blue light on it. And I swear, I, I did not see it when I tucked them in. But I come back in and there's like a laser in the room. This blue, crazy laser shining in my eyes. I'm like, how did I, how did I miss that before? Well, it wasn't truly dark before right? Because the sun doesn't go down till forever right now. So it wasn't truly dark, but once it was truly dark at like 2.30 in the morning, that tiny blue light was so bright, it was unmistakable. Like I had to hide the thing, right? So what does that mean? It means the light that you carry, like, yes, it's getting darker. That means the light that you carry is brighter. It means people's eyes are drawn to you 
act right, do the right thing. People are watching right now, respond well, live in the light, live in that place where there's not complaining and disputing, be blameless and harmless. This is not the moment to posture ourselves. This is the moment to act like God's kids. This is the moment to shine the light in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Then it goes on and it says in verse uh, 17, yes, I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, here's one final key that I want us to look at here. It says in verse 19, but I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know of your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. This is a very interesting thing. So Paul has had this church spring up out of nothing. He's actually imprisoned elsewhere. He can't get there to minister to them. So he sends this letter and he sends Timothy because he's like, somebody needs to minister to you. Somebody who's mature who will care for you. I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own not the things which are of Christ Jesus. Isn't that a painful statement? I have nobody else to send you. Of all the people I've introduced to Jesus, there is one guy who I trust with this task. There is only one who isn't after his own thing. There is only one who has decided that he's after the things of Christ Jesus. Verse 22, but you know his proven character that as a son with his father, he served me, served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. Verse 22, but you know his proven character, right? His proven character that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. One of the things that I think we need to hang on to in this moment and, and in the midst of, you know, like, I, again, so I'll just grab onto some of the chatter off of this current week. A lot of this stuff is, you know, are you going to be there for the, the women whose baby daddies have taken off, the women who are trying to fight it out on their own, blah, 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 um, which is, a, I mean, it's a fair statement. But what that's pointing to is a fatherless generation. Right? Like the, the fact that we're even talking about that is that that is a big enough issue that there's broken families, there's broken homes, there's broken relationships. Timothy, we don't really know everything about his dad. We know that when he's introduced to us, we hear about his mom and his grandma. And we know that Paul takes him on as a son. And Timothy serves him as a son to a father. He steps into a family that's maybe not his biological family, but the family of God. And as he begins to serve as part of the family of God, as a son to a father, his character is developed. Right? If we read the verse, it says, you know his proven character. You know the good character that's in his life because as a son with a father, he served me. Everybody else, he literally says, everybody else went off to seek their own. Everybody else was in it for their own selfish things. It means that the, the tendency of pride to pull us into my mission, my thing, my purpose, my vision, my whatever, actually 
actually is bait against the, the development of the character that God wants to produce in our lives. And so as we walk through this, we're talking about what is working out my salvation. It means that I begin to take my life and I lay it at the feet of Jesus and I say not only what do you want me to think, what do you want me to believe, what kind of faith do you want me to have, but literally, what do you want to do with my life? This life is yours. How can I serve? How can I love? How can I minister? How can I will and to do your good pleasure? What family are you assigning me to? Who can I serve? If I'm a, if I'm a son, help me find a father to serve. If I'm a daughter, help me find a mother to serve. If I'm a, a, a father or a mother, help me find a son or a daughter to bring into my life, to welcome them. Help us to be a family to one another, to support one another in working out ourselves salvation. Come into that place of agreement where we become, I'm telling you what, if the, the world is raging about who's going to help the single parents, this should be a place where it's safe for single parents to come because they're going to be cared for. Yeah. Right? If the world is raging about, you know, well, what about the rapes? What about the abuses? Then this should be a place where it's safe to be healed from those things. And we believe that that demonic stronghold is broken in Jesus' name. And we don't tolerate it. We don't look for a band-aid to fix it. We look for the power of Jesus to deliver it, to move it, to heal it. We serve one another in the brokenness. We become a beacon of light in a dark and perverse generation. This is what working out our salvation should look like. It's really the proof of the pudding. It's putting our money where our mouth is. And on that final note, I just want to give you um, a couple scriptures here. James 1.27, because this is what we are working out. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is what a worked out salvation looks like. It means that we are not closed hearted. It means that we love, that we care, that we nurture, that we minister, and that we keep ourselves unspotted from the world. We look and behave and respond and act and minister differently. Finally, Matthew 25, 34 to 40, and I'll have the worship team come back one more time. Jesus talking, and it says, Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer them and say, assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. This is what spiritual maturity looks like. This is what working out our salvation is in action, right? It's this thing that is more than a decision. That yes to Jesus, that's the first part. But you know, people spend a lifetime trying to be good people. It's impossible. So, sooner or later, the flesh takes over and it's, you know, it's a thing. But the more we know Jesus, when he says, as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. We're not just like we come and we sing with our whole hearts. If you're new to this house, it might be a little overwhelming for you. We're not going to stop. We invite you to join us. If you're 
<laughs> if you're watching, I mean, I saw the videos from the Garth Brooks concert, and I'm telling you, people were dancing in the nosebleed seats, so we can surely dance before our God. But why do we do it? Why do we clap? Why do we sing? Why do we pray? Why do we praise? Because we've been those ones who he has rescued and he has reached. And then he calls us to be the ones who pour that out to others. So the extension of our worship is beyond Sunday morning. This is one piece. Our offerings, our, our singing, our whatever we bring to the Lord. But the other piece of our worship before the Lord is this. Whatever you've done to the least of these, you've done it to me. That's worship. That's honor. That's working out our salvation. Would you stand with me this morning? And I just want to pray over us. Even this summer, I feel, I know a lot of people are starting holidays this next week. Some will be visiting family that you haven't seen in a couple years. We're going places that we haven't been in a while. I want to caution you that the bait of this generation is to say what's in it for me. The bait of our culture in this hour is to stand and posture, but the invitation of the kingdom whose you belong to is to love, to bless, to honor, to serve. If you're out with your family for the first time in a while and you're like, I mean, I don't even know what to say to anybody. Maybe even your own kids, maybe it's just been so crazy. Go into it with this mindset. How can I prefer one another? How can I honor? How can I serve? How can I love? How can I bless? I, I, I'm not going to be self-seeking, but I'm going to meet with my family and I'm going to be like a son to a father, a father to a son. I'm going to take that place that's going to develop my character. And maybe it's even really hard, but I'm stepping into that because as I do it, I do it for him. Maybe I just minister in some practical way. I just look for opportunities. I look for places to be the light in the darkness. I don't sit there and like rage about everything. I find the places where there is maybe the crooked and perverse generation and I just be steadfast, humble, upright, and I be a light in the midst of it. I be the place where those who are bound in darkness, you know, we've had so many people in the last while that have come to Christ and have come out of like a drug background, gangs, whatever. We, we could drive around and just be like, you know, oh, those people are just, you know, they're caught in addictions. What, we, can, we can fall into the trap that has been laid for us or we can go, wow, here's somebody God wants to bless. How can I bless them, Lord? Right? This is working out our salvation. I just want you to know that every time we celebrate these baptisms, it's not, nobody's like keeping this like number book in the back and yay, Victory Church has, you know, more points or what. There's, there's nothing like that. It is literally how exciting it is to see people coming free. People coming into life. It's so exciting. That's why we celebrate. It literally is coming from death to life, darkness to light. And from there, man, let's be lights in the darkness and change the city. Lord, today we thank you. 
Lord, we thank you that you are steadfast and faithful. And even though we feel like sometimes we're facing things for the very first time in our lifetime, we can look back to the experience of the Apostle Paul and know it happened then too. That there was stuff that they were facing that was so similar. But you were the answer then and your answer today. You're going to be the answer 10 years from now and a thousand years from now, God, should you tarry. We thank you that you are always the life giver. You are always the freedom giver. You are always the healer. You are always the restorer. You are always the dream releaser. You are always the one. And so God, today, as we prepare ourselves for this summer season, and Lord, wherever we might be going and whomever we might be meeting along the way, Lord, help us to be light bearers. Help us to work out our salvation in this, God. Help us to not be yours in name only, but Lord, that we would work out our salvation in a way that honors you, that we would be not self-centered and self-focused, but God, you give us eyes to see what you see and ears to hear what you hear. Lord, that we would be able to be that beacon in the midst of the brokenness, God, that the, 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 um, the lighthouse in the midst of the stormy seas. Lord, I thank you that you're sending us out and you've sent us with an assignment to will and to do for your good pleasure. And so God, I just pray a blessing over this assembly, wherever they are, wherever they're going. Lord, I thank you that this is a summer of fruitfulness. Yes, refreshing. Yes, being built up, but also a summer of fruitfulness, salvation, freedom, deliverance, wholeness, and light in the darkness. And we thank you for it this morning. Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at Victory Church GP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give, just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.